So as I, as I look out, I kind of sense there's some nervousness in the room and some tension. And I'd like to take a second to, uh, to do a little breathing exercise so we can kind of just calm down and get focused. So what I want us to do is uh, if you take a deep breath in for about five seconds, hold it for a few seconds, and then slowly exhale. And we'll do it together. So take a deep breath in. Hold it for a few seconds. And then slowly let it out. And we'll do it one more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a few seconds, and then slowly let it out. There, you feel better? Yeah. To be honest, that was more for me than you, because obviously I'm the one who's going to be nervous. So, But it also makes a point as to what I want to talk about a bit today. We are going to be talking about joy, but before we talk about joy, we have to talk about hope. And just like breathing, Breathing is an involuntary response that we have as part of our body systems, the way we function. But it is also something we consciously do in moments of stress or anxiety or anger or when we're getting ready to do something or exert ourselves, we take a deep breath. And I think a lot of that ties in to what we need to do with hope. Hope also has to be a conscious act that underlies and infuses every single part of our lives. So in order for us to live the lives that God wants for us to live. It has to be a defining characteristic of who we are as God's people. We need to be a people steeped in hope. Our theme passage for this week is Romans 15, 13. I'm going to read it here. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I read that passage over and over again over the past while as I was preparing, I was kind of struck afresh by that phrase, the God of hope. And I had to ask myself, is that really, at this moment in my life, my understanding and experience of who God is right now? Do I experience him as the God of hope? Also, do I feel filled? Do I overflow? And probably more often than not, the answer is no. And I don't know about you, but I'll leave that to you. Lack of hope can cause us to settle for less. For a God of good enough. A small G God that doesn't really have any power. Rather than the glorious, gracious, powerful, lavish God of hope that we do have. And as a result of us settling, we get used to surviving instead of thriving. And we find ourselves in place, these places in our lives quite often because our hope is centered more on our situations than it is in Jesus. Lacking hope is not what God wants for us and it does not reflect who he is. As we saw in the passage, he is called the God of hope. And just like we know that God is big, so too our hope needs to be big. The core of who I am cannot be rooted in my circumstances or in my security or in my situations or in my success. It must be rooted in Jesus. It must be rooted in God. Because if our hope is never really rooted in him, we can never really ex truly experience joy in our lives. Hope has to define our relationship with God. It has to be an expression of how it's lived out. We cannot experience joy without hope. And we cannot experience hope without surrender, without letting go of control. So 
So I want to take a closer look at hope. In our world, hope is usually understood as a wish or a dream or an ideal, something that you know, would be great if it happened, but if it doesn't, we can live with it, that kind of thing. And uh, it's things like, you know, getting a better job or winning the lottery or things like that. that, And I mean, there is also hope that exists in like, we want war to end, we want world peace, we want the, you know, the climate to be able to sustain us, stuff like that too. But for us as Christians, hope is something so much more. It isn't a wish or a dream. It is a trust in a promise. It is a belief in a certainty That certainty that God, what God has done, he will bring about to completion. So I'm going to ask again, what is our hope? Well, to understand that, we have to recognize that we have a problem. That we were separated from God by our sin, by our pride, by our selfishness, by our desire to control. But God made it possible through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, that we can be in relationship with him again. And it says in Romans verse 5, verses 1 through 5, which Dave read last week, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. Not only this, but we also rejoice in sufferings. Knowing that sufferings produces endurance, and endurance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom was given to us. So as we are in the Advent season, I, I kind of want us to take a closer look at the hope in the Christmas story. And it's a story we've all heard quite a few times. But we kind of need to, you know, dig in there and really see the hope and the amazingness of what God has done in Jesus. What was God's response to our shortcomings? When we fell short, how did God decide to act? So that made me ask the question, is what kind of God does the things we see in Jesus? What kind of God steps down and lowers himself to among the very people who turned their backs on him in the first place? In Jesus, we see God's love fully on display, taking the weight of our sin on our burden on himself and then offering us freedom. So when you think about the baby Jesus laying in the manger, take some time again to reflect on this that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, took on this same flesh that we have. And what is more, he did it to demonstrate his great love for each one of us. By dying in our place and rising again and conquering death. That regardless of our circumstances, the lies we have believed about ourselves, who we are and what we have done, that Jesus is God's open hand extended to us. A hope rooted in his love and a hope that is bigger. In 1 Corinthians it says, 15, 19, it says this, 
if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we should be pitied more than anyone. And that's because this hope that we have in Christ is not a hope that chooses between heaven and here and now. It is a hope that looks ahead to what will be and what God is doing, but it is a hope that is lived out here and now. And I think that's a challenge that we need to see is how does our hope radiate out of us more in our day-to-day lives? And I know I need to figure that out more in my life. And we also see in 1 Corinthians in chapter 5, verses 55 through 57, and I apologize for not putting them up, but I thought you might hear me, like, just hearing me say it instead, because I got such a pretty voice. (laughs) Anyway. Now when this perishable puts on the imperishable, and this mortal puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will happen. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, hope is transformation. Hope is is restoration. Hope is victory. It is a victory here and now as we walk in relationship with Jesus and as his spirit works in us and transforms us. And it is victory which lies ahead as we see there comes a time when God brings all things into completion, where God makes everything restored and renewed in his glorious presence. And part of our mission here and now is to take hold of that hope with both hands and then to let it shine in our lives and help others find that same victory in Jesus too. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, it says this. In case you haven't noticed, I like to refer to the Bible a lot, so that's a good thing. Therefore, since we have such a great hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Can we lean into this hope? Can we breathe deeply of it? Let it permeate our entire being, shape our hearts and minds, and then shine out of us. So I invite you to take a deep breath. (laughs) And now we can move on to joy. Joy can be difficult to understand, let alone experience for a lot of us. Um, But it is not simply an emotion, but it's also a state of being. Like hope, it can't be linked to our circumstances, but must be rooted in who God is and what he has done. And it is also directly linked to our hope. 
So look again at Romans 15, 13, where it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to pull a few words out of that. The word here used for fill, it's a much bigger word than really we see in the English. Um, other words that help us understand it better are uh, bring to fulfillment, fully come. The word is continual, it's plentiful, it's ongoing. It's not a one-time thing and it's not an occasional thing. It's an all-the-time thing. The word used here for all, too, is also a word that is continuous and ongoing. It's not just a simple, like, okay, yeah, all oh, got it, thanks, check that, check mark. It's, um, other words that can be used there are every and whole, any and every, day after day. These are not words that reflect scarcity, but words that reflect abundance. And I know I want to experience that abundance that God has in my life as well. So the phrase, as you trust, it doesn't simply refer to acknowledgement or, or a knowledge of something, but a belief in something with the implication that actions based on that belief will occur. It is living it out. So as you read, as you trust, is as you live it out. And through these things, we begin to experience more of the joy God has for us. And finally, the word overflow. Joy is worship. Part of hope overflowing in our lives is that we will be drawn into worship. When we recognize that it's not about us, that it's about God, we will live lives centered on who he is and what he has done and what he is doing. And when we do that, that is worship. If our joy and hope are rooted in anything other than Jesus, then they, we will be tossed around by the waves and blown about by the winds of life. So if we breathe hope, how do we experience joy? And I think there's something that we all experience that can help us understand this better, and that's our sense of taste and smell. Our sense of taste and smell are deeply connected to our emotions and our memories. And they have a lot of power for that kind of thing. And I think there's three ways in which that the sense of taste and smell will help us understand how we experience joy. Firstly, take a second to remember the best meal you've ever eaten. And picture yourself sitting there again. And, th and that's the beauty of it. You can picture yourself in that chair and you can close your eyes and you can begin to bring back the smells and the tastes. You can remember the people you were with when it occurred. You can remember the uh, situation or the thing you were celebrating when you were there. Taste and smell can bring us back and bring us back with clarity. Secondly, have you ever been sitting at a table and with Christmas coming up, I know that this is gonna at least happen soon if it hasn't happened already for you. And you're sitting in front with, of, you're eating this, this amazing food, this amazing meal, and you hit that point, you're like, I'm full. And you just feel satisfied and it's great, but you look down at your plate and there's still like two or three things still sitting there. And you think, man, I want to eat that. But I'm full. But I want to keep going. But I'm full. But I want more. But I'm full. And that sense of satisfaction mixed with that sense of abundance is something that is a lot like joy. One more food analogy. But I guess it works because we're doing taste and smell, but 
When, when I'm going to be going out to eat at my favorite restaurant, or I know I'm going to be cooking an awesome steak, or we're going to be eating an amazing meal, anticipation stirs up in me. I start to think about what it's going to be like and, and, and get energized by about the idea that, oh, this is going to be good. I can't wait to go there. And that, that eagerness and that desire to be there stirs up in me. Anticipation. So when you look at these three things, I think joy is a lot like that. Joy can bring us back to the past and experiences we had and memories we had and, and help us recall those things with clarity. Joy can also overwhelm us in the moment. And then joy can drive us on for what lies ahead in our lives and motivate us. So joy is a past, a present, and a future activity. And that's why it's linked to our hope, which is also a past, present, and future activity. And I want to show you, if you look in the Psalms, you can see this pattern a lot, where the psalmist will explain a uh, present circumstance or struggle they've gone to, call back to acts that God has done in the past, and then declare trust in what God is doing into the future. So let's look at Psalm 126, and here's what it says. When the Lord restored the well-being of Zion, we thought we were dreaming. At that time, we laughed loudly, loudly and shouted for joy. At that time, the nation said that the Lord had accomplished great things for these people. And the Lord did indeed accomplish great things for us. We were happy. Oh, Lord, restore our well-being. Just as the streams in the arid south are replenished, those who shed tears as they plant will shout for joy when they reap the harvest. The one who weeps as he walks along, carrying his bag of seed, will come in with a shout of joy carrying his sheaves of grain. So do you see the references to the past, the present, and the future in this? The psalmist reflects on the joy that God has brought him in the past as he asks God to help him experience it in the present and then relies on the strength and knowledge that is yet to come as they hope in God and trust for him to carry them through. So what about us? Do we draw upon the ways we see God move in our lives? and the promises he has for us to give us what we need to continue on. As we experience the God of hope, he fills us, fills us with joy and peace. And then we will overflow with hope. And it is all this that can reframe our lives and help us to see what is important in our lives and what truly matters and give us the purpose to carry on. But good news, suffering. It seems contrary to have joy and suffering linked together, but it is a common thing we see throughout the Bible. In many places, joy shines forth in dark places and dark circumstances. And this is not something any of us are immune to either. If we look again at Romans 5 that I read earlier, it says, we rejoice in the hope of God's glory, not only in this, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And later in Romans 12, 2, 12, 12, sorry, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And then James 1.2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Suffering and difficult times are not unique to the Christian experience. But the hope 
and the joy that we take hold of in the midst of them is. Suffering is not a result of our punishment or, or us falling short. It is often just a reality we face in life. And yes, it can be a result of our choices in life, but it's not like God's trying to crush us. The way we face it is in hope expressing itself in joy and peace through Jesus. Joy springs from hope, not the hope of our situation changing, but rather the hope of knowing God more in the midst of the situation. We always need to remind ourselves that it is about him, his glory and his kingdom and everything else he will give us because he loves us. And we see that in Jesus and how he lived, that he trusted God to take care of him and watch over him and that God would deliver him. But it says this in Hebrews 12 too, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken the seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus could see the glory and the joy of what lay beyond his suffering. Because he lived for God's glory and completing his Father's will. And for us to get a better idea of what that glory looks like and what God is doing, I want to read from Isaiah 35. Let the wilderness and desert be happy. Let the arid rift valley rejoice and bloom like a lily. Let it richly bloom. Let it rejoice and shout with delight. It is given the grandeur of Lebanon, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the grandeur of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Straighten the hands that have gone limp. Steady the knees that shake. Tell those who panic, be strong. Do not fear. Look, your God comes to avenge. With divine retribution, he comes to deliver you. The blind eyes will open and the deaf ears will hear. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. For water will burst forth in the wilderness. The parched ground springs of water. Where jackals once lived and sprawled out, grass, reeds, and papyrus will grow. A thoroughfare will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. And the unclean will not travel on it. It is reserved for those who are authorized to use it. Fools will not stray into it. No lions will be there. No ferocious wild animals will be on it. They will not be found there. Those delivered from bondage will travel on it. Those whom the Lord has ransomed will return that way. They will enter Zion with a happy shout. Unending joy will crown them. Happiness and joy will overwhelm them. Grief and suffering will disappear. Do you hear the hope in those words? Is your heart stirred to worship at the idea of experiencing that unending joy and the end of grief and suffering? Coming back to Romans 15, 13 again. I don't know if you noticed it, but there's a continuous cycle there of hope and joy and peace. That as we get hope, we get joy and peace, which then brings about 
more hope, which then brings about more joy and peace, which then brings about more hope, which then brings about more joy and peace, which then brings about more hope, which brings about more joy and peace, until what? It overflows. As we are filled with joy and peace, hope overflows. This overflowing hope does two things for us. As I mentioned before, it draws us into worship and into celebration, into shouts of joy about what God has done and who he is. And secondly, it spills out of us for all to see, just like that passage I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that we have unveiled faces that reflect God's glory. It is an infectious thing, a contagious thing that pours out of us and people can't help but notice that there's something different. They can't help but wonder why we have such peace, why we have such hope, why we have such joy. But we need the Spirit's power at work in us for this to happen. We cannot will it. We cannot force it. We cannot try hard enough to make it happen. It only comes through surrender, through acknowledging our dependence and need for God. Our challenge is to today, breathe hope deeply and taste the joy that God brings as we dwell in him and are transformed by his spirit. So again, take a deep breath of joy. Get hungry to taste that, or of hope, sorry, and get hungry to taste that joy. But I want to close with a reading from Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's take a minute to pray. Father, we thank you that in Jesus we have this hope. And Lord, we pray that your spirit be at work in our hearts and that you shape and mold us and you give us the ability to surrender and lay down all those things in our lives which take away from that experience of who you are and that knowledge of who you are. Lord, transform us and make us a people who are a people of hope and joy and peace, a people who are restored, a people who experience your victory. Lord, give us hearts that burn for you. Give us hearts that desire to see your name lifted high. But also give us hearts, Lord, that experience and know that open hand that you extend to us. That the amazing love that caused you to send Jesus. Lord, we want to surrender to you. And I pray, Lord, that for those who are in the midst of difficult times or suffering right now, Lord, that you carry them extra close, Lord, and your spirit rest on them. And Lord, help us to walk together through these things in the power of your spirit, we pray.
Amen.